Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Truth and movies. On today's episode, Pratosaurus Chris returns for Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, and McQueen recounts the rags to riches life story of provocative fashion designer Alexander McQueen. Then for Film Club, we look back at Jeff Goldblum's finest hour, the 1986 sci-fi body horror classic The Fly. It's dinosaurs, documentaries and David Cronenberg, all coming up in Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. It's Michael Eder here again. Sitting across from Adam Woodward, Little White Lies. Hello. And Matt Thrift. Hello. Welcome, gents. We all saw Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom last night. We're still digesting, so let's start with a bit of correspondence and follow-up from last week from Matt Wainwright. Love the podcast. It's now my go-to place for figuring out what next to see at the cinema. Michael mentioned in the Killer Clowns Film Club that he sorts his Netflix oldest first and finds some random film viewing. Sounds like a great idea, uh, but I don't know how to find out how to do it. Well, first of all, it was David, I believe, last week that said that, uh, Matt. But I think it's when you go in the browser version of Netflix and you go into a genre and it has a drop-down by suggested, etc. you can go date-added and you can scroll back through there. But this put me in mind uh, a recommendation I would have if you're on Twitter. Ollie Littleton, who wrote for Little White Lies way back when, he's now a screenwriter, on his Twitter account, drops a recommendation every day for films rap films mainly, on streaming services. His name is O-L-I-L-Y-T-T-E-L-T-O-N. And it's a really good service, picking out stuff that's on BFI player, Mm -hmm. services that I don't subscribe to. It's really good for that sort of thing. Because it is hard, guys, isn't it? It's so hard to to keep up with so many of these different services out there and just knowing what's on and, yeah. And what to subscribe to. I think I must have about seven on the go at the moment that... Well, that's the bloat, isn't it? Once yeah. you're subscribed to Now TV, Movie, mm-hmm. Amazon Prime, and then BFI players, one that I even look at. Now there's Filmstruck as well. It's yep. a lot out there. But I'd recommend that. So let's uh, crack on with a podcast 65 million years in the making with Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. So four years have passed since the events of Jurassic World. And the dormant volcano on Isla Nubar is dormant no more. So it falls to Owen and Claire to stage a rescue mission for the surviving dinosaurs. Here's a clip from the trailer. A rescue op. Save the dinosaurs from the island that's about to explode. What could go wrong? Blue is alive. You raised her. (laughs) 
Do these animals deserve the same protections given to other species? Or should they just be left to die? These creatures were here before us. And if we're not careful, they're going to be here after. So, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, following the huge blockbuster success of Jurassic World and critical not so much success. Adam, how does this one pan out for you? Yeah, so very much still digesting this one, as mm-hmm. you said. I have written a review, which is, is now live on the Little White Lies website, if you want to go and read that. And yeah, it's interesting to see where this film picks up from the last one. I think the story feels like quite a kind of obvious next step for this mm. franchise. And remember, it's the middle film in this new trilogy. So yep. Colin Trevorrow, who directed the first one, has now written this one. Uh, J.A. Bayona is on directing mm-hmm. duties, and I think Trevorrow is back for the third one. Right. And it does feel like the midpoint of, of a franchise, mm-hmm. of a trilogy. So change in director, uh, although does, it, does that maybe iron out some of the kinks from yeah. the last film? change in director. I think Bayona does a fairly good job mm-hmm. in in constructing some images. I mean, I don't think there's anything quite as spectacular to rival, say, Sam Neill removing his Ray-Bans oh, wow. and, and seeing this herd of Brachiosaur. But, you know, there, there are some very competent uh, set pieces and there's some fun yeah, action moments in this film. And I think he's, he's teamed up with his regular DOP Oscar mm-hmm. for uh, to good effect here. But, yeah, I think ultimately this is, feels like Trevorrow's baby. But then Jay Biona, people might not know, his last film was A Monster Calls from beginning of last year, I believe. Before that, The Impossible, and then the Spanish horror film The Orphanage, produced by Guillermo del Toro. Mm. Matt, were you familiar with those films? Yeah, I, and I, I watched them all again, actually, last mm. week, ahead of this. And, and it was really interesting, especially The Orphanage, mm. kind of quite how Spielbergian a director Bayona is, and kind of really got me pretty hyped for this one. I mean, I didn't like the last one very much. But, you know, I think Fallen Kingdom is a pretty appropriate title. And, you know, if the last <laughs> film kind of got the water skis out, I mean, this is really where the series kind of jumps the triceratops. Uh-huh. I mean, it's... I mean, you, you, Adam mentioned the kind of set pieces in the movie, and I, I just... I really didn't get with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the first Jurassic Park film, I mean, is a pretty basic ABC skeleton of a storyline that Spielberg kind of fastens all of his all of his magic onto you through a series of some of his best set pieces, I think, in, in all of his work. I mean, the T-Rex attack, mm-hmm. the staging of that, and what Spielberg managed to do just with his camera to tell the story, I just think is completely lacking in in both of these films. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the last one was got a little bit more of a rough ride than perhaps it deserved. I mean, it's, I think it's generic, but perfectly kind of competent. But it's, for me, this was all over the place. It's interesting comparing, because I, I, I rewatched Jurassic World over the weekend, mm. and that is one of those reboot sequels, kind of like The Force Awakens, which just retells the original film, but Absolutely. bigger and more, and more contemporary. And it's a complete mess of a movie, in my, you know, in, in my opinion. This film takes a different tack, which is more throwing as much spaghetti as, at the wall as possible. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, what can we do with this franchise now? We have so many different genres and directions we can go in. The main setup is almost straight out of a disaster movie. You have dinosaurs alongside volcanoes. But then also later on, there's some teasers in the trailer. I don't think it's really a spoiler to talk about how it does go in more gothic horror directions. Yeah. It's interesting that it kind of flips the 
basic structure of a blockbuster, which mm. is to have the big set piece at the end, it almost has that, it front loads it with that. And then you're left with this more intimate, almost like chamber horror, which again, doesn't really evolve or they don't really expand on that as, as a kind of idea mm. too much. That's I think that's the main problem with this film. Is just, it it yeah. reaches for a few images and ideas without really elaborating on anything or, or settling into a particular rhythm or, mm. um, or style even. Yes, but I I quite like this film. I'll, I'll nail my opinion to the mask there. Uh, particularly the film as directed by Bayona. I think about the films this year, some of the um, the blockbusters that failed to deliver this year, like Solo or even A Wrinkle in Time, where the films just didn't really seem to have a tone of voice or a vision behind them. This film does, even if they may not work or the writing that's that it's supporting or the performances aren't really there. I do think that Bayona has... A sense of spectacle, but also a sense of building a set piece, both small scale and large scale. There are sequences here that do hark back to the original Jurassic Park, where it is just cowering around the corner from a velociraptor that's going to get you. And there's something there after Jurassic World which just blew it up to such huge proportions. Getting back to some small scale scares Mm. is quite impressive. And I think that if this film fails, I don't think it's his fault. I do think it's something to throw more at Trevorrow's feet. I'd agree with that. And the main issue for me with the the script Mm. comes down to the decision to remove basically the entire story and the action from Isla Nublar, from the island. I mean, it is as much a character as any human or dinosaur in any of the previous films, and, and in Michael Crichton's source novel especially, and I just think the way Spielberg explores that terrain and mm. and that complex ecosystem is really interesting. I mean, even in Jurassic World, you had those like gyrospheres, yep. which, which rove around and you get to explore a bit of the island that way. You're taking something fundamental away from the film, away from the story, by setting the, the, the action elsewhere. Mm. My thought coming out of this is, are any of the sequels to Jurassic Park any good? I think The Lost World has got some yeah. some seriously good set pieces mm. in it, but I think you know it's got some pretty dodgy uh, storytelling yeah. as well. And I think the third is a perfectly serviceable B movie. Mm. Um, and I think that's kind of one of my big problems with this one. It's that that sort of self seriousness that it seems to have. And you know, when you're dealing with kind of Frankenstein's genetically modified monsters in a haunted house, <laughs> and and all of this kind of stuff that's thrown in there, I mean. I just kind of wished it had gone full sort of deep blue sea or, mm. you know, we've got the Meg coming out this summer yeah. that, that have a, a level of self-awareness that just makes them fun and you can kind of embrace the silliness of the situation. Whereas with this, I just, yeah, it just felt a little too self-serious and a little dull because of it. It is a problem with these prestige blockbusters in a way now where blockbusters have to have some heft to them, mm. uh, some gravitas. But then you say... It is quite self-serious in tone, but it does also inject comedy mm. in a way that wasn't there in the previous film, particularly with Chris Pratt's character. Yeah, there's a, there's a sort of inadvertent homage to the Quaalude scene from uh, The Wolf of Wall Street yeah. at one point, which I was not expecting. The um, last film does have that pretty cool, or quite like Joe Dante-esque, like Piranha-esque uh, pterodactyl attack on the crowd, yeah. where with the, pet, the little baby petting zoo as being demolished, mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of fun. Yeah, I think with this one, what's interesting, though, with those characters, Mm. it really does feel like they've given both Owen and Claire, Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard, almost like personality kind of transplants because they didn't Mm. have them in the last last film. Chris Pratt in particular, it came out around the same time as Guardians of the Galaxy where he was really a star-making performance in that. And then Jurassic World, 
almost just a Indiana Jones knockoff character. Mm. And in this one, they're really trying to play into his persona a bit more. Again, though, I, I wish they'd just developed that idea a bit further. Like, mm-hmm. effectively, they are they are returning to appease their past mistakes and she's driven by guilt yeah. from effectively having, you know, launched the, the Jurassic World Park in the previous film. And, and he's driven by this sense of, like, parental obligation to blue mm-hmm. the, the Velociraptor. Um, so they, it almost frames them as anti-heroes, but mm. then I just don't think it really uh, yeah, yeah, I delivers really on that. By her transformation at the beginning no. from sort of buttoned up corporate yeah. warrior in the first one to suddenly, you know, she's like Betsy in Taxi Driver, sort yeah. of, you know, campaigning for dinosaur rights mm-hmm. and, you know, waving at a tearful brachiosaur. But they're the returning characters and then there's a whole ensemble of new characters in there, including, well, gosh, you know, Two sidekicks for comic relief, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, like a, a plucky, precocious young girl, and you know, James Cromwell, of many films, Babe fame, turning up as Lord Attenborough surrogate character, mm. Ted Levine. Yeah, yeah. It's it's one of those films which is two hours and ten minutes with so many characters all having stuff to do, and even Rafe Spall in there as a sort of antagonistic figure. It's just quite hard to track after mm. a while. There is one interesting development regarding a new character in the film where the film takes the idea of like genetic engineering to a level previously unexplored or, or even yeah. hinted at in, in, in the series. But even that, I felt, was completely undermined by the fact that the, the kind of main villain character basically has an asset under his nose more valuable than any <laughs> dinosaur and yet doesn't either seem to realise it or, uh-huh. or want to capitalise on it. it. It's a strange quite glaring plot hole I think it's kind of interesting that we've been talking all about the human characters in the film and, and really so far not really <laughs> mentioned the dinosaurs at all mm. and and it's I, I don't think the film really knows what to do with them no. either I mean they try this whole Terminator 2 thing with this Velociraptor yeah. blue that he's been training which is now essentially one of the good guys for mm. this one then you've got this this new engineered cross between uh, the Indominus Rex from the last one and the Velociraptor, Mm -hmm. which um, is kind of that manifestation of Dr. Evil's wish for, you know, (laughs) sharks with laser beams on their heads, you know, made flesh. Well, that's, I think, the problem with the franchise in general. You'll never get back to the awe-inspiring initial shots from Jurassic Park. So really all you can do is put more teeth in, in the mouth of, mm. of dinosaurs. Where do you think the franchise should go from here? Because it, it does seem to be stuck in this quite clumsy, awkward mm-hmm. feedback loop. And I mean, I mean, it almost sets up for the next film to be set way in the future and, and be a kind of Mad Max or Planet of the Apes type yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, which I think would be quite interesting. But mm-hmm. whether they'll do that, I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's quite hard to talk about the ending without that kind of last mm. shot, without giving too much away. But there, there seems to be a wink towards kind of Spielberg. E.T. land, suburban mm-hmm. at the end. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I guess only time will tell whether the sun will come out tomorrow. That's the sort of gentleman's clap <laughs> <laughs> we should give you there. Um, I don't know, should we talk about the, the Goldblum in the room? He's featured so heavily in the uh, the promotion and the, the trailers and the publicity tour for this. Yeah, he is. And, and he obviously is the reason we, we chose The Fly to discuss yeah. on Film Club this week. You know, his, his little long-mooted return to the franchise. He's one of the only members of the original cast who hasn't yet reappeared in... He was in Lost World. He was in Lost yeah. World, but that was obviously made yeah. almost directly after. Yeah. His cameo is... It feels like re- cut for YouTube mm. could kind of be bolted onto any 
of these films at any point. He basically delivers this monologue, which is supposed to in some way encapsulate a wider theme or sort of moral, ethical dilemma that we're supposed to be, or the film is you know, purports to be addressing um, mm-hmm. without really doing so. It does this curious thing of setting up, we're introducing these ideas about, you know, our, our sort of impending ecological crisis and, and the idea of activism and, and then sort of very abruptly answers those questions, I think, straight away. It doesn't tease anything out or let anything gestate in, an, in a sort of organic way. Mm. I think one thing I will say about this film is maybe, listeners, you might have seen the trailer, don't re-watch the trailer before seeing it if you are going to go and see it because it's one of those trailers where a lot of the film is on display. Mm. There. Mm. Almost too much of the film is on display in the trailer, I'd say. Any pertinent points that we've missed out, guys? I wonder how much... This was intended as an homage to Spielberg, generally. Mm. I mean, the previous one certainly felt like that. There was definitely moments where things like um, Schindler's List and even AI were, were called to mind. Wow. There's one image in particular which has which got kind of like, I think, Holocaust connotations. But again, it's just whether that's me reading into it or projecting that onto it or whether it's the intention of the filmmaker it never feels like you're I don't know in in a position or with a filmmaker who's comfortable or confident in what they're actually trying to say with this film but I think the biggest homage to Spielberg you could give in a film like this is just to you know construct a bloody good set piece Mm. and I just think you know just doing the sort of Spielberg wonder shot and you know and sort of kind of echo back moments just don't really seem to do him much just or the film much much service. I mean, I, I mentioned the the iconic moment earlier where Dr. Alan Grant sees the herd of brachiosaur for the first time, and the equivalent in this is like um, Bryce Dallas Howard's Claire character staring aghast at a, a big house. <laughs> that is literally, and she's someone who has seen dinosaurs, uh-huh. and yet she's you know left dumbfounded by this. They, they do introduce a shot where it's one of the sidekick characters who she, she telegraphs that she didn't ever have the money to go to the mm. theme park, but she's a scientist all her life, and she finally sees one. And they try to almost realign our perspective to have a sense of almost class or sort of social hierarchy, but that is you can't ever get that wonder shot again, can you? There's a and I don't know the answer to this, but a kind of question of, of all of these types of visual effects movies. These, When you watch the original Jurassic Park, even now, what, 25 years, whatever mm. it is later, that sense of wonder really does still hold up. And, of course, the advances in effects that we've had since then, you would think these dinosaurs just feel so kind of weightless and yeah. characterless and so synthetic. I mean, maybe maybe it's the filmmaking around the visual effects that makes them work. I mean, I'm not, I don't know. This but. is the thing that the movies are still big and and the world is still big, but the vision is somehow smaller. Mm. That was my kind of takeaway from the film, I guess. Should we say our scores, Adam? Go, you go first. Yeah. So in my in my review, I've gone for three, two, two. It's very obvious flaws outweigh its any saving graces, and it, it just feels like a very muddled film and, and a real missed opportunity to do something a little bit different and and you know take the franchise in a new direction. Okay, Matt. Yeah, I think the same. I mean, I'm I'm more disappointed. You know, I mean, I really liked Monster Calls, mm-hmm. um, and I really like the Orphanage. I mean, I, the Impossible is horrible, but um, yeah, I think three two two. Mm-hmm. You know, for want of another look, probably at some point. I think I'll go two three two. Okay. Jurassic World made my anticipation very yeah. low for this, but I, I did enjoy it for the Biona reasons. Even just the cameo from Geraldine Chaplin. Oh, of course, we didn't mention. Yeah, great. But I don't think if you would have told me nearly thirty years ago that <laughs> they'd be still making these films, I would have laughed at you because just stick with Jurassic Park. I, I would say that Biona 
I wouldn't imagine that his reputation will be dinted too much by this. I think he he comes out of it relatively unscathed. Mm-hmm. Um, Trevorrow is is where the buck stops. I think. One question with this: people seem to like the dinosaurs, which is why they keep coming back. And I mean, Jurassic World is kind of inexplicably like the what fourth or fifth biggest yeah. movie of all time. Yeah. Why does Jurassic Park have a monopoly on dinosaurs? Why can't we have a Colet Sarah, mm. Blake Lively versus T Rex, or a, or his take on the Grey? That could be. The future, let's hope so. I'd pay for that. Let's hope the Meg inspires yeah, some of that. Quite. Well, that was Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Up next, McQueen. He was a sweet boy from the East End. I wasn't very good at school. I was always drawing clothes in science, in biology. He has got nothing, and yet he was determined this is what he was going to do. I bought all my fabrics with my doll money. And what was that East End job used as a needle? People in the industry say, oh, I discovered Alexander McQueen. Alexander McQueen discovered himself. So McQueen is a biographical documentary tracing the career of Alexander McQueen from the doll queue to designing for Givenchy and Gucci. This is obviously not very good for radio, but I'm not a very stylistic person at all. I don't know. Matt, did you, did, you, did you learn much from this documentary? I really liked it. Actually, mm-hmm. you know, it's got a wealth of footage from the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, we know where the story is, is going. You know, he took his own life at, what, 40 years old. Mm-hmm. I mean, I haven't seen... I mean, I, th- I remember kind of bits and pieces of one of the shows. that you, there's, there's quite extensive footage of, of his actual work, mm-hmm. um, the catwalk shows and so on. And they're just incredible. Yeah. I mean, I would very happily sit through a, a Blu-ray of, of all of those. I mean, they're... You know, they're really impressive works of art in their own in their own right. I and think that gets to almost the flaw for this film for me is that I wish that we could have had a more deeper dive, closer analysis mm. of just those shows, which are frightening, cinematic, theatrical, really goth as well. If yeah. you if you want to go down that route, also some people you know they only hinted in the documentary, but controversial and misogynistic. Some people thought, mm-hmm. but this documentary has. A trajectory and structure that I found very familiar of starting out as a son of a taxi driver in Absolutely. East London mm. to fame and fortune, but then the pressures that come with mm. fame and fortune bring the demons out. Adam? Yeah, it, it relies on, on some um, talking head interviews as well with, with people who are sort of remembering him. And it, it falls into that trap, I think, of you know someone hinting at, say, maybe issues in his life or, oh, well, it was at this point, of course, that you know he, he started doing drugs or experimenting with this, and and you're just supposed to take that as red, and it's it's never really conclusively shown, or yeah, that frustrates me a little bit. I think it's quite a kind of cheap ploy in documentaries like this, just to add a bit more drama into it. I'm not saying that these narrators are necessarily totally unreliable; they're mm-hmm. just offering their own personal, you know, recollections of his life and and what it was like to be around him. But yeah, it just felt like to me the documentary didn't quite really get to grips with his character his personality aside from through the work which is mm. obviously how he expressed himself and as you say Matt that I mean all the footage of his catwalk shows are just absolutely you know, yeah, awe think, inspiring thinking about it there's definitely room I think for a sort of Pina style yeah. you know whether it's a reconstruction of those shows and literally just kind of that mm-hmm. in sequence or I mean, I don't know what kind of more footage exists of the of the actual ones themselves, but yeah, really impressive to see it's, them. It's never really a, a useful line of criticism to think about what a film could have of course. been. But that, uh, one documentary I saw recently was Boom for Real, the Basquiat doc, mm. which looked specifically at his life before he was famous and really stops at the moment he sells his first piece of artwork. And for McQueen, 
the things that in this film really interested me beyond the footage was the world he came from is almost a world that we don't recognise now. Yeah. The fact that he was buying his fabric on the dole is something that kids can't do nowadays. Mm. He had a, a studio on Hoxton Square, literally down the road from where we are now, which is unrecognisable to what it was in the 90s. This whole idea of cool Britannia in the 90s is such a, a, a relic now, but it would be really interesting to extract something about that world and context that he came from. But the directors don't go down that route. And it's a very comprehensive documentary, but not really but a very enlightening yeah. one. But yeah. it's that, comp- that, that sense of comprehensiveness or, or striving for that, with, with, whether it's you know, a biographical documentary or a biographical feature. You know, when, you're, when you're trying to cram an entire life and, an, and the work and you know, the whole familiar trajectory you know, under two hours, it's always going to be, I guess, lacking for something. Mm. I almost feel that in the in the in the age of Wikipedia, YouTube, Google image search, this sort of documentary is becoming a bit obsolete. Do you agree, Adam? Mm. Yeah, possibly. I mean, as you say, you can go probably online and, and find footage of the of the fashion shows, the catwalk shows. It's probably readily available. I would encourage people to do that and possibly watch this this film as well. Yeah, we'll probably never get close to understanding, you know, someone who is very clearly troubled and 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 actually quite flawed as as a person as well. I think the film's quite open about that, which I mm. which I liked. It wasn't a hagiography. It wasn't trying to put him on this pedestal. Mm. It was showing how revolutionary, I guess, his work was, but wasn't painting him as a sort of you know messianic figure in in the fashion world. Mm. Um, it was very much like warts and all. I did like that a lot of it was you know they clearly done their archive research in terms of finding as much footage of him talking. Mm. So I think you know the, the the dominant voice in the film is that of Lee McQueen himself, mm. rather than. As well as, you know, all the people that collaborated with him. But I'm glad it's, you know, it is mostly his voice talking about his kind of failings and yeah. his insecurities. And One thing and so I would on. say is it, it, I don't think it reflects well at all on the fashion industry no. No. and the community. As someone who doesn't really know anything about that world, it, it, yeah, it struck me as being very cutthroat and competitive. But, yeah, just the idea that he was quite clearly a, a troubled figure and wasn't really protected, wasn't really... You know, never really found solace in that community is is quite alarming. I do wonder whether this might be one of those cases where a straight-up dramatised biopic might be more interesting or more moving. I know that it's been talked about for years, hasn't yeah, it? They're filming it now. It's, um, is it Jack O'Connell? Jack O'Connell? Yeah, I mean, he's perfect casting, really, mm. in terms of this sort of rugged kind of mm-hmm. uh, masculine energy. It'd be amazing to see how that pans out. It would be fascinating. Mm. What do we think, though, numbers-wise? Matt, do you want to go first? Yeah, um... Three, four, three. I think. I mean, I, you know, it's, especially that shock of that that very first show that you see the mm-hmm. the Highland rape sequence. Yeah. I mean, that was yeah. I'd never seen anything quite like it. And and yeah, you know, thinking back on it, it is pretty generic in its telling. But you know, there's there's still a lot in there that I wasn't familiar with. Mm-hmm. So. Adam, I think I'd go three for anticipation, three for enjoyment, and probably three for in retrospect as well. Mm. But they're they're high threes. Yeah, I think three of anticipation for me. It's a world I don't know anything about, and it's a very comprehensive film. So three enjoyments, but it's also a film that I will probably forget that I've even watched in a year or two. So two in retrospect. But that was McQueen. Next we have Film Club with an undisputed classic. I think The Fly. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Have you ever heard of insect politics? Neither have I. Insects don't have politics. They're very brutal. No compassion. No compromise. We can't trust the insect. I'd like to become the first insect politician. You see, I'd like to, uh, but oh, I'm afraid. Uh, I don't know what you're trying to say. I'm saying. I'm saying I'm an insect who dreamt he was a man and loved it. But now the dream is over and the insect is awake. So The Fly, 1986, David Cronenberg, Jeff Goldblum, Gina Davis. We've got a great long email here from Robert Spencer. The Fly is one of the greatest films of the 1980s. God, I watched this many years ago as an R-rated slash 18 release. In other words, a video nasty as far as I was concerned, which was not a bad thing. One of the best exposition-free opening scenes in film. We're at a party, Brundle chats up the girl, tells her he's researching something awesome, takes her back, and demonstrates the sci-fi premise nonchalantly. Off we go. Breathtaking in its ability to turbo-boost the plot. Please God, can more films imitate this? I think that's a really insightful mm. you know, take on the film and its opening. It has mm. this amazing opening credit sequence as well, which is yeah. just these sort of amoeba-like colourful shapes all, all dividing and moving and, and swarming around. I, I think it, it's, like it's actually... Fly vision. Or yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mm-hmm. think it's actually people just shot through some, some kind of weird kaleidoscopic lens. But yeah, it's amazingly effective. Cronenberg's um, always been committed to the opening title sequence. Mm. You know, he's, I think he's spoken before about the, the fact that we just don't really get them anymore. And it's always, 
we just thrown straight into the action, often with the, the credits appearing over the first scene of the movie. So mm-hmm. he seems to be really keen to kind but of reinstate cru- that. It's crucial in that you have this this cold open, but is effectively quite a mundane scene and yeah. set up for the film. But yeah, just, just kind of foreshadowing that you have this really beautiful eerie tone-setting opening uh, title sequence. But it's also so refreshing to watch a film where almost the entire film is so mundane. Mm. Most of the action takes place in his loft apartment where he has his scientific get-up. But after watching something like Jurassic World or Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, which is so overblown, so many characters, so much incident, so many kind of globe-trotting scenes, to have something so contained... It's effectively a chamber piece. I mean, yeah. it's a you know a romantic triangle, romantic tragedy between three characters in mm. a in a loft, but it's got the the force of of an opera. I mean, Cronenberg adapted it into an opera. Mm. Oh wow, yeah, which I've not seen with Howard Shaw. Yeah. yeah, and well, Howard Shaw is his long term one of the musical collaborator. Great musical collaborations in cinema. I think. Yeah, I think they made this in Videodrome kind of and crashes yeah. an incredible score yeah. and yeah, he did Dead Ringers for him. Something also from Robert Spencer's email here, the gross-out horror. I can only imagine how much this must have shocked the average cinema goer in 1986. I can barely stomach some of this in 2018. And true, it's it's a gross movie. Well, well I've got a personal anecdote about this, uh-huh. which is that this is one of my sort of formative, I wouldn't say cinematic experiences, but I, I basically was uh, about, probably about seven or eight years old and came downstairs one night, I think I'd woken up, had a bad dream or something and, and my parents were downstairs watching this film and I walked in at the, the point at which the Stathis Buran's character mm. comes into the loft apartment and basically Brundlefly drops down and spews his vomit acid on, <laughs> on him and melts his arm and, and it was a it was a very obviously a very visceral image and it really kind of stuck with me and I, had, I took a long time before like watching the film I think at that tender age I didn't really understand what was going on but that yeah the, the practical effects and the kind of mm. Chris Wallace quite who did who, who uh, designed Gremlins and did the melting head at the end of Raiders oh, of the Lost Ark right. but he, he would go on he directed the, the sequel to The Fly mm. which Mel Brooks produced as well which is with Eric Stoltz which you've as, seen right yeah as the son of Brundlefly so there's one thing with this with this series you have the old kind of Vincent Price movie mm-hmm. you know, from 1958 and that had two sequels as well and the sequel to the first one was The Son of the Fly and then there was another The Grandson afterwards and this one it's the son you know these families yeah. really you know <laughs> don't don't learn well, but apparently, um, apparently Jeff Goldblum wrote uh, Vincent Price a letter um, after the film's release and said I hope, I hope you know you like this as much as I liked yours and then um, Price's reply that was, was that he thought it was wonderful up to a certain point but that it went a little bit too far mm. <laughs> So, Matt, you've seen the, the Vincent Price original. Yeah, from, is the it from the 50s? 57, 58, 58, I think it came so out. How does it so, compare to this? I mean, it's really good. It's a really solid 50s sci-fi horror. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's, uh, I don't think it, it compares. I mean, it's based on a short story, I believe, that was kind of published, I think it was published in Playboy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's been a while since, since I've seen it. Right. It's part, it's part to talk of that specific. short run, isn't it, of, of 80s movies that were remaking B-movies from the past, like The Thing and comes the out yeah. around now. Things like The Blob as well, and Invasion yeah. of the Body Snatchers. The Blob Snatchers. is fantastic. Yeah. I love the remake of that is terrific. Mm. Yeah. I mean, what I love so much about it is when you mentioned like all the, the kind of the gross out effects, but kind of revisiting it, it's perhaps Cronenberg's most mainstream mm. picture. Mm. Certainly and, at that point. Yeah, of, uh, of the idea of what disease can do. And of course, you see all of the, the gooey gross out stuff is there. But perhaps the most terrifying thing, and I guess this is where the sort of AIDS metaphor thing kind of feeds into it, is, is what's happening inside Gina Davis's character. Yeah. I mean, she's been impregnated by... Mm the fly doesn't know what's growing inside her and 
and this whole kind of you know there's obviously the fear of this gross melting changing mm. man but also the fear of what you kind of can't see and what's what's hidden away in as well and, and you have cronenberg rocking up in that uh, as the surgeon, as the surgeon yeah <laughs> in that nightmare sequence it's a, it's a, it's a shocking probably the most shocking one doesn't even include the fly has anyone seen the deleted scene is this with the, with the, the cat? Cat baboon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's a, quite amazing. I'd not, not seen it before, but it's on it. YouTube, so do check it out, any, anyone listening. But yeah, he, basically Brundlefly, he's quite far advanced in his transformation at this point, and he decides to fuse together a baboon and a cat. And the result is this, yeah, <laughs> quite grotesque. Um, hybrid, which he then proceeds to beat to death with a lead pipe. It's, it's, it's like quite uh, graphic and, and a bit silly, actually. The Doctor Mephisto character, wasn't it, from South Park? You know, the Marlon Brando one. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, made a made a monkey with four asses. Uh, I think they said the reason why they cut that scene out was that it almost telegraphed too early that he was beyond reproach, mm. beyond, you know, beyond turning back as a as a character. Well, and also you you always sort of empathise mm. with him, with with you buy into his vision. He explains to Gina Davis, it's not just a, a sort of chat-up line, he genuinely has this this quite grand vision for, for the future of humanity and, and, and he wants to be the guy to give this gift to the world, basically. Mm. And, um, yeah, you, you always empathise with him. I think it's credit to Goldblum, actually, as well, his, his performance. He's amazing, He's, isn't he? Yeah, he just... Even when, as I say, he's under... <laughs> You know, five pounds of prosthetics or whatever it is. <laughs> he, he just re- he retains this amazing, graceful, sort of sympathetic air. So something that David Jenkins said last week as he put it out there and said that this was, in his mind, the only good Jeff Goldblum film. Ooh, OK. I'm not sure about only, but it's certainly the best and I think probably, for good reason, the most enduring or the most mm. iconic. E- even with Ian Malcolm from um, from Jurassic Park, I think this definitely... Deep, deep cover, deep cover. Well, he's a, he's such a good utility player, isn't mm. he? Really, I was I, I was put in mind of Nashville, his sort of yeah. chorus-like character going around his big motorbike, invasion of the body snatchers. I quite like him in The Weekend, the Roger Michelle film, where he just turns up and does his thing, and it's almost the first of these new roles where he's playing Jeff Goldblum, mm. which he's sort of doing all the way through these films he's yeah. been in recently. But it is true, he hasn't been in many films where it's the Jeff Goldblum movie. Mm. Maybe this is the one to point to. The tall guy? The tall oh, God, guy, I seen yeah. it for years. <laughs> yeah. I can't vouch for its quality. Yeah. Yeah. But it is interesting looking at actors like that, and they have these phases. He was such a cult B-movie actor in the 80s, 90s, post-Jurassic Park, of course, Independence Day, and then beyond a bit of a fallow period. Oh, um, uh, remember my name. He's oh, really? He's good in that as Okay. Well. Yeah. But they are, yeah, they are few. For a guy with like 150-odd credits to his name. Yeah, exactly. Be... And it's only really been in the last few years where Jeff Goldblum, mm. as, as an icon, has really come around with GQ photo shoots, his yeah, Instagram yeah. Uh, as a personality. Yeah, mm. he's, he's become a staple cameo in, in blockbusters now, hasn't he? But yeah, The Fly also has one of the... We've discussed this on, on, on the pod previously, but one of the great... Taglines, taglines, yeah. Which is actually, you know, just a line of dialogue in the film, which I think we, actually Robert Spencer has tweeted us saying that it was uh, it came from a producer who told Cronenberg that he, uh, he he didn't think Brundle seemed scared enough about what's about to happen to him, mm-hmm. um, which is why you get the line, you know, be afraid, be very afraid. Yeah. Just that, that comment that you read out before about that open mm. and the kind of economy of that. I mean, it's what really struck me watching it again last week is, I mean, it really applies to the whole film. I mean, it's like, what, 90 minutes, 91 mm. minutes. And something, you know, I guess the reason we're talking about this today is because of the Jurassic Park link and the the sort of genetic 
link that's there. But it's, I mean, something that that film could really learn from what Cronenberg, like across his filmography, does so brilliantly is manage to talk about theme, like through dialogue, make the theme the narrative and mm-hmm. make it that all of those things are completely, completely inseparable. And I think it's a really, really rare talent what he does in his writing that, that Crash does extraordinarily well. And this does as well, just to, you know, to really fuse all of that stuff together in a way that, that often in lesser writing and lesser films <coughs> uh, comes out as, you know, just as mere exposition. And this completely avoids that, I think. Any final words on the fly, Adam? No, I mean, if, if anyone has, has uh, not yet seen it, if, if anyone's put off by the, the gore and the body horror, I mean, I'd say it's aged fairly well, given, really given well. how old it is. I mean, yeah. it's over, over I, 30 years now. I think it's a masterpiece. Yeah, but do seek it out. It's, um, yeah. e- even if you're a bit squeamish about these things, I think it's done in a very, very intelligent way. So and it's, it's, part not, of it's this... not kind of gratuitous. Or... Yeah, and it's, it's part of a quite melancholy romance mm-hmm. as well. And please do, if you do watch it, yeah. let us know at LWLies on Twitter, LWLies at tcolondon.com, or even on the podcast page on lwlies.com slash podcast. What's happening next week, Adam? There's more horror in store next week uh-huh. with uh, Hereditary, yeah. which has been getting uh, yeah very positive reviews so far. But there's also a film called The Happy Prince, which is a uh, Rupert Everett. A biopic of Oscar Another, Wilde. Yeah, a yeah. biopic. Yeah, Rupert Everett playing Oscar Wilde. Uh, and there's also uh, Jane Campion's The Piano is being re-released. So we thought we'd do that for Film Club. Um, oh, wow. Probably long overdue. It's a, a film that I've, I've seen but a long, long time ago, and I think probably, yeah, well worth a reappraisal. And quite a legendary film. Mm. The only film directed by a woman to win Palme d'Or. Yeah. Oh, no, it can't come now. It must. She wants it to come. Yes, and so do I, but there are too few of us here to carry it now. Too heavy. Do you mean you don't want your clothing or your kitchenware to come? Is that what you mean? We can't leave the piano. Let's not discuss this any further. I'm very pleased that you arrived safely. Mother wants to know if I could come back directly for it. Could I apologise for the delay, which I regret was... After they've taken the other things. (laughs) Might I suggest that you prepare yourself for a difficult journey? The bush will take clothing and the mud. It's very deep in places. Well, that's next week. Matt, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Adam, thanks for coming along. Pleasure. I've been Michael Leader, and as always, this has been a 7 Digital production. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.